scripture reading for this afternoon first comes from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 30. I'll read a few verses here that Paul will quote in Romans 10. Just to help us see where he got them from. Deuteronomy chapter 30. We'll begin reading at verse 11. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways, and to keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away, and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses to you, to you against, today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, and that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him, For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And then turning to Romans chapter 10, we'll read the entire chapter. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 1. Brethren, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law, the man who does those things shall live by them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, and in your mouth, and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. 
For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and a contrary people. This far, our scripture reading for, for this afternoon. I'd also like to read from the Heidelberg Catechism as we continue to follow uh, this outline. Uh, Lord's Day 7 on page 34 in the back of your Psalter. And I will read only the questions 20 and 21. Question 20. Are all men then, as they perish in Adam, saved by Christ? And the answer is no. Only those who are engrafted into him and receive all his benefits by a true faith. And question 21 is, what is true faith? The answer is, true faith is not only a certain knowledge, whereby I hold for truth all that God has revealed to us in his word, but also an assured confidence, which the Holy Spirit works by the gospel in my heart, that not only to others, but to me also, remission of sin, everlasting righteousness and salvation are freely given by God, merely of grace, only for the sake of Christ's merits. Dear congregation, we read in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, as we have been following the flow of the catechism that shows to us what we must know in this life to be able to live and die with that hope, with that peace, with that comfort. We need to know our misery and our deliverance from it, but also the gratitude to God for it. And as we've been working through this last time, we had this question as we just read in, in question 20 there. It says, since all men are condemned in Adam, are they then also, is everyone then also saved? by Christ since He has come. In other words, is, is salvation automatic now that Christ has, has come? And the answer, of course, is no. Because the gospel in John 3, verse 36 says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. 
And we heard last time, it's been a few weeks ago now, that it's only those who are saved, who are engrafted into Christ by faith. And we, we spoke about the, the branch that is engrafted into the vine, that the branch gets life from the vine. Only those who are in Christ by faith are, will be saved. And this Lord's Day deals with true faith. And last time we considered that true faith is necessary. Without true faith, there is no salvation. And so the next question that comes into our mind is, well, what is true faith? What is true faith? And the question 21 that we read here tries to give a biblical definition of the essence of faith. What does faith truly consist of? And then the next question we'll consider in the future show us a summary of what that faith consists of, what, what is included, what is it that you believe. But this afternoon, you want to consider the essence of faith. What, what is faith? Faith comes by hearing, but what is that? And I want to read then these two definitions, or just look at them. The Catechism defines it this way, that faith consists both of a certain knowledge and of an assured confidence. There's knowledge and there's confidence in what you receive or hear. But Calvin also has a similar definition, and he calls it a firm and a certain knowledge, so the knowledge again, of God's benevolence or God's goodwill, a knowledge and, and, a, and a certain knowledge of God's goodwill toward you, toward us. And that knowledge is founded on the truth of the freely given promise in Christ, both of which are revealed to our minds and sealed upon our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Those are the, the definitions that, that the Catechism and that Calvin gives, the, the, the basic definition. Now, this doesn't speak of our assurance of the faith, but what faith is. We're not looking to see how big our faith is or how strong our faith is, but is it real? Because Jesus said that faith, even as a mustard seed, is real, is effective. And so that faith, even as a mustard seed, makes you partaker of Christ and all His benefits. And so then, what is that knowledge? Where does that knowledge come from? Well, it comes from the revelation of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God, the revelation that God gives to us through His Word, through His Son. And that knowledge believes what God has given us as truth, that God's Word is true, not, not just in general, not for other people, not only for other people, but for you, that what it says in here, the promises and the curses, as He, as he told Israel there, they're, they're directed at us individually. There are the promises of eternal life. There's the promises of the forgiveness of sins that are directed to each one personally. But His faith is much deeper than just than just a mental knowledge or understanding. Remember the one definition said it's sealed to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. John 17, where Jesus prayed, and He said, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that word know, the original word that's used for know, is, is an experiential knowledge. It's, it's not just a mental understanding, not just a memory work, 
but, it, but it's a, an experiential knowledge that the Spirit works in our hearts. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, and he said that from a childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And there Paul uses the word for a, a cognitive, a, a mental understanding of the word. But he said that's what's able to make you wise for salvation. This is where that knowledge comes from, from God's Word. And so there's a difference between just knowing God's Word, knowing that God exists, but also and, and, and believing in God for that salvation that He, that he, that he explains. And sometimes people can reduce faith to a simple logical formula. And they, they say that if, if you hear that Christ has come to save sinners, and we are to admit that we are sinners, and we say we believe that Christ has come, and then you conclude, well, therefore I am saved. But that is false, because it does not go any further than just a mental, uh, a mental consent. And so it's also called temporal faith. But it does begin with hearing and knowing God's Word, knowing and hearing about sin. What is sin? Where does it come from? Knowing and hearing about Christ and, and knowing about the way of salvation, as we heard this morning. And the ordinary way that God produces this knowledge in us is through His Word, through His revealed Word. And Paul says here in Romans 10, verse 14, how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? So how can we even begin to believe in the Lord Jesus if we have not heard, if we've not received this knowledge? And how shall he hear without a preacher, he says? And so this knowledge of God, this knowledge of His Word, this knowledge of Christ is the foundation of our faith. It's not based on our opinions. It's not based on our feelings or emotions, but it's on the truth of God's Word. But the essential characteristic of faith is that it knows that the Bible is the true, unquestionable, infallible, revealed Word of God. Because this comes from the God who cannot lie. It's from, it comes from a God who cannot change, from a God who is real, from a Christ who is real. And it shows us our sin that is real. It shows us that heaven and hell are real. And it shows us the promises of eternal life and the forgiveness of your sins is real. Now, it doesn't mean that we have to know everything in the Bible from the front to back to be saved. A child knows only a little, but they can know enough to trust in the Lord Jesus, to believe in Him. They might know a little, and a professor who's been studying theology all his life might know a little more, and yet we cannot know the extent of all that the Bible teaches, but we hold it for true. That is the certain knowledge that we need, the knowledge that God works in our hearts, the knowledge as Lydia, as she was listening to Paul preach, it says the Lord opened her heart to attend to what she heard. And this is when God's Word becomes real to you. This is when you know that these promises are real for you, that these are the promises that you need in your life in your circumstance. This is when you, you find God's commands or God's Word as it convicts you in your sin, in your circumstance, where you see that He's speaking to you, not your neighbor. 
And this is where you find the doctrines that guide you when you have questions in your life of, of how we are to live. And this is when it becomes more than just, just memory work. More than just the memory work that we do at school or at home or, or in church. Because that memory can fade. But this is a living knowledge which God really cements in our hearts. Written on our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This is a truth that you, you hold on tightly to in the core of your being. You know this is for you. This is what you need. And often God brands this into your hearts. Sometimes through the fire of affliction, He burns this truth into your heart. Other times He comes with His finger of divine love and He writes it on your life. Or there's other times He may uphold you with those everlasting arms when it seems like everything else is, is falling away and the only thing that holds you up is the truth of His Word. And this is when it leaves an impression on your soul. This is when it leaves these indelible marks that you can never forget. It's certain. It's a knowledge that you cannot leave and you won't sell for anything. And this is why the martyrs go to the, to the stake for this confession. They believe what they heard and they can say, as, as it says in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you, sh you will be saved. Is that something we can say? Do we have this knowledge? Do we rest here? Can you say deep down in your hearts, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief? Because we need this knowledge, but this knowledge itself is not enough. Even Paul says here that many did not believe what they heard. In verse 16 it says, But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? They had that knowledge. They had that knowledge. They heard it, but they did not believe it. They had no faith. Scripture also shows us how the devils believe, but it causes them to tremble. The devils know that there is a God because they used to worship Him with songs of praise. The devils know that there is a heaven because they used to live there. The devils know that there is a hell because God has prepared it for them for eternal punishment. And they know there is a salvation for human beings, for sinners. And that's why they fight to keep them from it, to keep them from believing, to keep them from knowing this Word. That's why all over the world, many nations try to eradicate this word, to, to get it out of their country. And this knowledge of God's word is required. And it comes through God's word, but it's not enough. Secondly, there must also be that, that assured confidence. Verse 14 says, How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? So here, the purpose of hearing this word is for believing in the God who gave this word. And that's what Jesus commands us to do, is to repent and believe the gospel. The purpose of hearing the gospel is to believe. In verse 3, Paul uses the word submit. The Jews would not, have not submitted to what God has revealed to them about the righteousness of God. They have not acted according to the knowledge that God gave them. 
But in verse 3, it says that they're still seeking to establish their own righteousness. They do not believe that they need the righteousness of Christ to be saved. That means that they're trusting in their own righteousness. They're trusting in their own ability to save themselves. That confidence belongs to faith because faith is not only knowing, but it's trusting for that, that truth for your eternal salvation. It's trusting the Word of God, trusting God Himself for your salvation. And that's the difference between unbelief. Unbelief does not trust what it hears. It does not obey what it hears. And verse 14 says, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? That means, why would they call on God to save them if they don't believe that God if they, need, that they, if they don't believe that, that they need God to save them. Why would you call on God if you don't believe you need God? The Jews rejected what they heard about Christ. And if you do not trust on, in Christ, that means you also are rejecting Him as the Jews did. If we know about God and Christ, as we heard this morning as well, and we, and we do not trust in Him for our salvation alone, then we are rejecting Him. Because faith is trusting in what we hear about Christ. It's that assured confidence that not only to others, but to me also, in the catechism quoting now, that remission of sin, everlasting righteousness, and salvation are freely given by God. And that again is that, that definition, that confidence in what God has said. The confidence moves from knowing what the Word of God says to, to, to trusting that God will save you as He says. As he, in verse 13 says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That confidence is like Abraham in Romans 4 verse 21 where it says, being fully persuaded that what He has promised, what God has promised, He was able also to perform. And that confidence is present. That confidence is present the moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus. It may be weak. It may be clouded with doubts and fears. But it is present by the grace of God and by the power of His Spirit that you are persuaded like Abraham that God will do what He says in His Word. There is a difference then between this faith, the definition of this faith, which the Catechism is trying to show us, and the assurance of that faith, to know that truly we have come to faith. And some people come to that assurance very quickly, but most gradually over time, and many struggle a long time with it. But, but this faith includes that confidence, that trust in God. So what does that trust really mean? What does it mean to trust in God through His Word. Well, as an example, I was in Africa a number of years ago, and I was asked to give a message in their little church. And they had wooden pews much like this, except only with a plank and under three vertical legs. And all the people came in, and they, they sat down on these pews. It was strong enough, even though they weren't very sturdy. They, they trusted those benches. They had confidence that these little wooden benches would hold them up. And so that trust 
is that confidence, that confidence is leaning your whole weight on something else. They trusted his benches to hold him up. And true faith is leaning entirely on God and the promises of his infallible word for your complete and eternal salvation. And true faith has that confidence that what God's word said is not just true for someone else. But that that remission of sins is also promised to you. That everlasting righteousness is also promised to you. That salvation is freely given also for you. It's a confidence that allows you to come to God with with, with boldness as, as to God the Father in heaven. A confidence that through Christ the mediator you have that access to God to find acceptance with Him. And that faith believes when you hear what God says in verse 13, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Confidence that He will do as He promises. Even though you don't see it yet. Even though you don't know it yet. But when you sit on these pews, and your feet are still on the ground, but with eternal salvation, There is no second support. If we do not lean entirely on Christ alone, then we do not have have Christ at all. Because it was shortly after I started delivering that message that suddenly the legs on one of the benches gave out and the whole bench crashed to the floor and the people were sitting on the floor. And if we lean on anything else but Jesus Christ alone, it will all come crashing down as well. Because how often do we try to sit by faith on Christ like a bench and yet our feet are resting somewhere else? Resting on something to support ourselves. We trust that Christ can save us, but we think, well, first I need to clean up my life before He can. First I need to stop these sins before God will accept me. Or I must do these good works for God to receive me. And so we try to improve ourselves. We try to rest a foot here and a foot there, trying to help ourselves to heaven, so to speak. But it is only the righteousness of Christ that can save us from the wrath of God. There is nothing, absolutely nothing in this world except the promises of God that we can and must rest on. And this is what the Holy Spirit begins to teach us experientially, not just in our mind but in our heart, that we are sinners, that we are guilty before a holy God that we deserve God's righteous and just wrath and eternal punishment. And we begin to see that we cannot stop our sins. We cannot stop sinning day after day from all our sins. And even if we could, we can't erase our past sins. We can't erase the penalty that we owe for all the sin against God and the original sin that we have from Adam. We are under the eternal condemnation of God if we are outside of Christ. And we begin to see that even all our own righteousnesses come to nothing. They're as filthy rags. That even our own good works only increase our debt and our guilt and our misery. Because even our good works we cannot do perfectly. But they're full of sin. We cannot earn our way back to God. There is nothing that can hold us up in front of the judgment seat of God. 
verse 13, or verse 3, sorry, we cannot establish our own righteousness as the Israelites were trying to do. And it is then when everything that we thought could hold ourselves up in the presence of God, then everything collapses like that bench did. And then we begin to fall. But there's no ground left to catch us. And it is you, it, you fall, as it were, ready to be swallowed up by the pit of hell and the judgment of God. And you can fall with all your knowledge, with all your Scripture memory, with all your catechism classes, and all the sermons you heard, and all the good things you've done. And it's like you fall with nothing to catch you until, until by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can see this promise in the Word, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that knowledge that He gives you, that it is certain, that it is true, that it is unchanging, and that is where you can land firmly on Christ in the promises of alone. alone. And this is when you submit yourselves to God's only way of salvation. Verse 4 said, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Come to an end of ourselves, an end of trying to keep God's law ourselves, an end of trying to work our own salvation. But then we begin to believe that not only for others, but to me also, these promises hold true. There is forgiveness with thee, Psalm 130 says. And that is where you come to hang onto these promises that you find in God's Word. Maybe before you could believe it was for somebody else, that God could save others, but maybe not you. Or you thought even if Christ could save me, He probably wouldn't want to save someone like me. But here you hear those promises, those words of God that say Christ will not turn away anyone who comes to Him. Here you read in, in Romans 10 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. Have you ever felt that you might come out in the end and find it all to be a lie? But here He says you shall not be put to shame. You shall not be ashamed when you rest in Him. And so does faith that comes by hearing. And that Spirit brings it home to your heart. And you come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just for others, but for you. That He will save you when you believe on Him, when you call on Him. And, you, and then you say and you believe that the promises that He gives in, in, in His Son, and His Word, that He will cover you with the righteousness of Christ to cover all your sins. Romans 3.22 says, The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. And that is where you cast yourself down at His feet. That is the only place you can come to lean and to rest and to lay hold of Christ as your only way of salvation as the only way to stand with peace before God. Because you have no hope and no expectation in any other grounds. And so here, true faith consists of those two aspects. That knowledge, the certain knowledge found in God's Word. 
that certain knowledge that is brought to your heart, and that confidence in the things promised in the gospel, in the God promised through the gospel. And these two things must be present. He who believes on the Son has everlasting life. Why? Because He has told you that this is what He has come to earth to do. As we heard this morning, He has shown the way of salvation. He gives you that revelation. But we must also believe, trust in Him there. Have you landed there? Have you entrusted your life to this Lord Jesus Christ, to the salvation of God? Because then, It'll be as His Word says that whoever believes on Him shall be saved. Amen.